through the 1689 Baptist Confession, we ask, Lord, that you would give us insights and help us understand. Thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can be on our seats. Today we are moving to another chapter. I know this is an unfamiliar face. We have our pastor and Eliazar that have been helping us with the noble task of going through the conf- confession of faith, the Baptist Confession of Faith 1689. And we're moving to another chapter. I'm sorry I might be quite different in my approach because I'm more of a lecturer. Yes, so I could ask questions at different times, catch you on our ways, just like now. Can anyone remind us the chapter that we concluded last week, Tuesday? Chapter 6. So we have considered six chapters so far. Who wants to to tell us the six chapters? Anyone that has to speak would speak to the mic. Sister Farakemi, you want to help us? You're not with a mic for us, are you? Okay, who can start with the first? Let's, you know, we like classwork. Hmm? Of the Holy Scriptures. And what came next? And the Holy Trinity. Okay. And what's, what was next? If it's, if it's not God's decree, what is it? And the next? Providence. And the next? Uh, you're asking, you said <laughs> it is after decree, God's decree, then um, creation, then providence, divine providence, then sin, it was sin that preceded, sin, fall of man, and okay. Yes, I would, I would want to say this. The, the reason why I did that was because for some reason, we kind, we kind of might fall into the tendency to dissociate one study from another, like one chapter from another. I would want us to, to just by way of encouragement, that we should, um, more, more than just knowing the chapters or being aware about them, we should take time to truly and fully understand them beyond the study beyond when we have, because in as much as when pastor or Brideaza asks any question and we move to the next, some of us might not still be able to um, articulate some things or even explain. So we should take time to go back to um, exhaust this um, confession because this is just um, an exhaustive or let me, let me just say a, a comprehensive explanation of biblical truth. That's the first thing I want to say. Is there a second thing I want to say? No. Okay. Yes, by providence, this particular chapter, which is of God's covenant, is what it's quite, um, I mean, for those that have been coming for Sunday school and, um, and I think the singles conference, covenant has been spoken of at least a number of times in the past month. And on the basis of that, I want to ask, who knows what a covenant is? Who can give an explanation of what a covenant is? So that we know that we have been together. 
Sunday school, oh, sermons, oh, and conferences, oh, when biblical truth is being preached or taught, we must know how everything works together. They are all intertwined. So, what is the covenant? Not on the basic, what is the covenant? Anyone? I know the people that have been coming, so I can, I mean, most of us, even if not the single girlfriend, at least on the school. Okay. The covenant is an agreement binded by an oath between two or more people, either between two equal parties or between a higher authority and a lower authority. Okay. Thank you very much. If you, if you see that from our definition, from Sunday school and all that, we try to give something that covers virtually more than like different contexts. You see an agreement, a binding agreement between two or more. I even said between one, two, more and all that. And usually it's usually mutual. And I try to give a distinction that, okay, apart from that which is from God, where God is the initiator and all that. If we look at the dictionary and all that, we see that there's usually um, a general definition of covenant, pact, like a contract between two or more people where there's some sort of um, negotiation and bargaining that precedes the covenant establishment. But we cannot take that definition to understand God's covenant or biblical covenant, and that's why we needed to give that separate, um, that, um, separate explanation to help us understand covenant as divine covenant as compared to any other kind of covenant. Uh, that is important. One of the characteristics of the covenant where we also learned is that it's not just a promise, it's not a promised agreement, but it's usually certified with an oath. And that that's which, when we also want to consider divine covenants, it is not mutual, like two people of equal status coming together to explain and, and to decide on something and all. But this is God, it is unilateral, it is imposed, it is God who is the one who initiates the covenant and the terms of the covenant and all that. And that's is the picture that scripture, as we see. In fact, one of the times that I think I, I spoke, I made that, um, that point about the fact that even we as Christians, we are both the product of covenant and participants of covenant. But either of whatever place we find ourselves, we are recipients, we are not the initiators of covenant. I think that's important for us to know as a basis as we try to consider the, this chapter, which is divided into three, chap, um, three paragraphs. If time permits, we would be able to cover one and two paragraphs, the first and second paragraph. And if not, we'll see how it goes and we'll continue from next week. Chapter seven. I want to assume we have it on our phones. And if there is someone who is with it, you can read, or I should read. Since you don't have the other one, so one of us can read any of, from your phones or from your material. And please, let's be responsive. I know this is not pastor, or this just please, responsive, or else I would, I'll be, conf, I'll be, I'll be confrontational. I will call. I will call you out. That Mr. Fred, please, can you read for us? That kind of thing. Yes. So, can you read if you have it with you? Do you? Um, <clears throat> paragraph okay. one. Yes. The distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience to him as their creator, yet they could, ha they could never have attained the reward of life but by some voluntary condensation of, on God's part, which he hath been pleased to express by way of covenant. 
The distance between God and the creature is so great that also that all although reasonable creatures do owe obedience to him as their creator. I'd want to um, stop there so that we'll take it line by line or sentence by sentence. The distance between God and the creature is so great. I want us to open to the book of Isaiah. We might not be able to take all the, all the texts, but we'll take as much as we can. Isaiah 40, 13 to 16. Acts 17, 24 to 25. And if someone is that in Psalms, you can read Psalm 113, 5 to 6. Isaiah, Isaiah 40, 13 to 16. Oh. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust in the scale, on the scales. Behold, it takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Acts 17, 24 to 25. 16. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. Thank you. Acts 17, 24 to 25. world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. 24, 25? Yes. Okay. Uh, nor is he served by human hands, though he needed anything, sorry, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Thank you very much. In one of our studies in the past um, chapter where we talked about God and the Holy Trinity, and even in Sunday school, we talked about um, the character of God, the being of God. There's one consistent thing that we um, emphasized, and that's about the self-sufficiency of God. And to simply explain that, that is, God is self-sufficient and in need of nothing and no one to be God. And if sometimes we need to meditate on that fact to get to understand that if he is God and self-sufficient, then whatever he does in relation to his creation is more of more benefit quote and unquote benefits, more benefits, quote and unquote that, to the creation and not God. Because without the creation, God is still God. When we sing the song, um, you are God from the, begin, from the beginning to the end, right? There's no place for arguments. You are God all by yourself. That is, without creation, God is God and is fully who he is without creation. And so when we see the first part of this paragraph, it says the distance between God and the creature is so great, that is, it is, is, is a way, that is, if without any form of movement, either in thoughts, either in, uh, in the fact that he is God, there's a large distance that it will require something significant for us to have any contact or any form of relationship with God. If you look at the text, Isaiah 40, verse 13, it says, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or what man, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? 
who taught him the path of justice and who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. That is, who? It's just like the question that was asked Job, that where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Now, from all the sayings, it is fundamentally clear that God is self-sufficient and in need of no one. And so when he creates, moving to the next part of it, that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience to him as their creator, and when we say reasonable creatures, who understands what that means? Human beings, reasonable, those with reason, those who were created in the image and likeness of God. Reasonable creatures. One thing I, I have, we've seen consistently from this confession is that the words are deliberate. They are not fillers. As in, they just, they just put it because we want to write. Reasonable creatures, speaking about man, do owe obedience to him as their creator. I want to focus on these reasonable creatures. That is, the normal expectation from a creation is that it does as the creator, the creator um, planned or created him for. Right? There is no sense, I mean, it's, it's the duty of the creation. Now speaking about man, it's the duty of creation to do as the creator expects. It's, it's I mean, in fact, I'll go as, I mean, without any expectation of anything. You create, and the creation does as you expect. And I use this because it's very easy to make reference to, about all innovations and um, products of technological advancement we have. If something we create doesn't do as we expect, we dispose. And if something we create does as we expect, there is no sense of anything. It is just we that are pleased. The creation doesn't have any, there's no bargain that, okay, so the creation enjoys the fact that it is doing what it is doing. It just does as it is supposed to do, and that is all. But we see that if it ends there, there is, there's, no, there's no point, there's no sense in which we have anything to, to look forward to as like a reward for doing that which we are supposed to do. Because by default, without God himself, moving to the next sentence, coming down voluntarily, there is no, there's no sense, there's no reality of reward of eternal life that can ever come. And Luke 17 helps to flesh this out better. Luke 17, verse 5 to, to 10. Can we open quickly? Luke 17, 5 to 10. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Will any, of, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what, he, what was commanded? So, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Hmm. It says that as creation, when we do what we are supposed to do, there is no expectation for being rewarded for it because we are only doing what we are supposed to do. I mean, if um, there's someone, a plumber, of course, because of courtesy, even when we have paid for a service, we say thank you and all that, but if you are a plumber and I've paid you for the job, you do a job, 
and the agreements we have settled, I've given you, and you are, and you are gone. There's no sense, you, there's no expectation of anything beyond that I have paid you for it and all that. Now, if you create anything, the creation doesn't expect anything. It is just does as you do, as, 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 as expected. So what Jesus is saying is that while many of us, there's a sense in which we, um, we believe that there's something that God owes us, but this is actually saying that even as, I'm even speaking as sinful people, this was even before the fall, but as sinful people as we are after the fall, there's still a sense in which we feel that God owes us something. That we feel that, um, I mean, we see it well, probably when we feel that we are doing something and we are not getting something. And sometimes, even when we try to force it or um, to, to, to control it, if we are aware that, I mean, we pray about it, well, we know we don't deserve anything and everything. But in real time, in our lives, when we experience some things, those questions come to our mind that, do I really deserve this? We don't have been, I've been faithful to you. This is Jesus saying that after you have done, it's not from disobedience. You know, sometimes you can even say, maybe because I disobeyed, that's why I'm not getting this from God and all that. But Jesus is saying here, from the last, from verse 10 of where we just read, he said, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, you say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And so, this is saying that there is no sense, there is no context of reward for anything that we do. And that is where God comes in or came in. In the next, he said, from reading from um, the paragraph, he said, Although, although reasonable creatures do owe obedience to him as their creator, yet they could never have attained the reward of life but by some voluntary condescension on God's part. Many times we speak about grace after the fall, which is absolutely true. But we also see that an act of grace is seen in the initial condescension of God to establish a covenant with the first man, Adam. Because it is in the context of a covenant that reward is possible, or it's in that context, it's that reality of covenant that we can speak about reward. When we talk about covenants, you also see that when, we, when there are points of, of agreements, there's usually, okay, when we do this or when you do this, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. For that to be possible within, in the context of man, God had to condescend. We call it condescension because it's like he had to bring himself to the level where he could be able to relate in a personal way with man. And so that we see the necessity of covenant here. And so, when we look through scripture, we see different kinds of covenants, divine covenants that God did um, establish with um, different people at different significant points in history. Adam, the, um, the Naoic um, covenant, Abrahamic covenant, Mosaic covenant, Davidic covenant, and all these things, all these covenants. What we are emphasizing here is that the starting point was when God himself condescended to establish that covenant even before the fall. And this condescension was a voluntary one. It was not cajoled. It was not against his, um, his, his will. It was voluntary and it was that which pleased them. Says, but by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which he had, he had been pleased to express by way of covenant. So he expressed this condescension by the way of covenant. What other character of, or characteristic of covenant do we know about? 
Remember, we, from the definition that we've learned and that um, Sister Firekemi also made mention, there is something is, that's, that goes beyond a promise, an oath, a sworn promise, a promise certified with an oath. Now, when we think about that, God condescending, establishing a relationship with man, and all those things, where all those ex expressions of covenantal language, I will be your God and you'll be my people, and he swears by his name and he uses um, um, statements that are, ex that, are, that are expressive or that are um, characteristic of an oath. Does it cause us to even think that it's a mere creation that God is undertaking, going through the pains to come down to establish a covenant with an oath? I want us to see the kind of language that Christ uses. Let's look at Genesis 15. Genesis 15 verse, from verse 17. Nine to seventeen. You will not be able to read all of that, but okay. He said to me, Genesis fifteen, from verse nine. He said to him, "Bring me a heifer three three years old, a female goat three three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon." And he brought all this, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham dove. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your father in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." Now, this is God speaking to Abraham. And um, Waldron tried to coin this in a, in a quite succinct way when he says that this kind of um, um, oath that God was making with Abraham, which is characteristic, it's a recurrent thing that he had with various um, um, people through scripture. He said that God takes pains, as if God is, is saying, he's taking pains to assure his people of the utter certainty of his promises, of his faithfulness, of our utter security in his love and grace. It's almost like staking his life to satisfy the promise. He puts it also in, a, in another way. He says, it's almost like God telling Abraham, let me be slain if I should fail to keep my oath. That is, certified, that the oath certified promise to you. Let me be slain. This is God. The depth of this is only understood when we um, take time to meditate on the being who is saying this. And the fact that it's a mere creation, it is because of, um, it is from a proper understanding and a true picture of this that David could say things like, who is man that you are mindful of him, that you even regard man? How? But as we know, what did man do in return? The fall occurred. 
And still, God was still faithful to his promises in chapter in them um, from paragraph two. Reading from paragraph two, but before I continue, is there anyone that has any contribution or question? I think it's not complicated. Any question or contribution? We've emphasized or tried to explain the distance between God and his creation. We also talked about the duty of creation by default, logically, is to do that which the creation, the creator um, created the creation for. And if we leave it that way, there is no form or any context or any um, idea of looking forward to some form of reward. And so God had to condescend to establish that covenant. And he didn't do it from a place of um, compulsion or, or, or compulsion external to himself, but he did it voluntarily. And he did it with an oath. In fact, God's covenant is, 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 is I don't know if it's the right word, garnished with oaths. When you see the expression of God's covenant throughout scripture. Okay. A question from you. From you or from online? Oh, okay. Since the um, covenant that, um, that is made with us, I mean, it's, it's obviously not an equal covenant because it's not man to man, it's, mm. it's man to God. Um, or God to man, rather. How is a man, or how can a man keep? If God tells you to keep his covenant, you can bank on that because he's God. Mm. How can a man keep? his covenant, if a man keep his covenant with God. Keep his covenant with God. Like, he established the covenant with God. You, it is that his own side of yes, the Yes, his own side of the bargain. Yes. yes. How can a man mm. keep a covenant to a God? By obedience. The question of yes, the question of ability. Yeah. Are you talking about ability? Yes. How you how would a man be mm. capable? Mm. I mean, obviously, because we are not the same being. So mm. if God says he will keep his mm. his promise, mm. he will keep it. Mm. How can a man mm. say he will keep? I mean, this is coming off from the I mean, God knows that man cannot keep his covenant. Mm. No, no. That may be that may be that may be fast stretch, but the nature of man makes him incapable mm. of keeping to covenants in a sense. The nature of man. The nature of man makes him incapable. We, we, we have to, wait, wait, hold on. The reason why I am I'm about to struggle with what you said now, nature of man. Are you talking about the current nature of man or the nature of man as he was created? The basic question is, 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 is now, God has a covenant with God has a covenant with man, mm. and of, both both parties have their parts to play. Mm. How 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 can a man mm. keep his covenant mm. to God? Yes, by obeying God. The question of ability. <laughs> the question of ability. Mm. How can a man? Mm. I'm emphasis on man, mm. man, an ordinary man, mm. keep his yes. How? Do you know why I'm not um, bulging from, what's, like, from what I'm saying? Is that within what we are addressing, hmm? if I have to just give you a straight answer, it is that by obedience, the expectation is that, yes, we should obey. Right? Are you with me? Wait now. You see, you see the stretch. We are saying, see, I've not even talked, we have not even gotten to paragraph two. I am saying 
that the condescension, what we have said so far, is about God in relation to creation, and that the fact that by expectation or by logic, by logic, creation is supposed to do the duty that the creator made it for. Then I brought the whole idea of um, reward. The idea of reward is is no is is absent when there is no form of relationship or covenant between one or two people. And so because of the distance, the fact that God is all by himself God, and because of the, um, the, 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 the need or the necessity of a covenant being in place for reward to be talked about at all, God condescended and established a relationship with man. Wait, hold on. And so, that condescension was a voluntary one. Now, that's all we have covered so far. Yes, right? so it's that, that mm. distance that mm. you mentioned, that distance between man mm. and... So, it is, it's more like this. Can a man keep to his part of the covenant without the grace of God? If the answer is no, how then is man participatory? Mm. Like what, what, what would man bring to the covenant if mm. he is not able to even keep to that same covenant okay. apart from the grace? Mm. Mm. I think he's asking. No, I think he's asking a question. He may not realize, but I think he's asking a question. He may not realize. Now I understand why Pastor shuts some things down. All right, please talk. Yeah, I think from the first paragraph of the confession, I think the thing we should take note of is God and his creature would have no business unless God condescends. So the first thing we should take note of is this, that before, if God never condescended, Man cannot even make an attempt as being a creature. If God just leaves the creature like that, what he has created, that mm -hmm. thing cannot worship God or obey God. The covenant is put in place so that man can even obey God. Without the covenant, as we progress, but Philip is talking about the covenant of grace. Without the covenant, mm -hmm. man cannot even start to imagine how to please God. So it is always that God will have to condescend to make a covenant. Now, in the covenant then, it's just that you are going too far, you are running farther than, uh, uh, far, faster than our shadow. You have to calm down. The point we're doing today is just that God condescended to create a covenant. Now, within the covenant, there are now different things that make up a covenant. There's reward, there's punishment, there's oath, there are all, all of those things. And I think we'll come to it. But the point we should take home is that if there's no covenant, man can never worship God. It is the provision of a covenant. It is God's making of a covenant that can even make us worship God. No covenant, we can't even worship God at all. <laughs> hey, yes. That's why I said let's focus on this paragraph. Any question or contribution from this paragraph? Okay, sir. So um, I was, I'm still trying to understand um, uh, uh, the, the thought you shared about reward okay. uh, in connection to um, God making covenants. Um, okay, so what I, I thought I heard is something like um, the manufacturer, I mean, the example you used, mm. makes a gadget to do a certain thing. Mm. If the gadget does that, that in itself is a reward. I mean, mm. it's just doing what it was made to do. Mm. And the is gadget that, is, should No, no, sorry, you said something. Okay, so, well, that enough is sufficient. That alone is sufficient that it is doing what it is manufactured to do. Okay, I thought you said something that that's a reward. That in itself is a reward. Well, that's just, I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry for Okay, okay um, so that is just sufficient that I made this phone to be able to send text messages and receive call, and it's doing that. Yeah. Um, the 
the gadgets should not look to the manufacturer and say, well, I'm sending text messages and I'm, I'm able to send and receive calls. Mm -hmm. you know, so what do you have for me? You know, um, I don't know, I'm struggling with that, with that analogy. Um, what analogy? The, the analogy of the manufacturer versus what he manufactures. Okay. And the thing doing exactly what the manufacturer made it for. Mm. Um, in the, in the first, just as a, as a, it's not a perfect analogy. Okay. It's just for us to have an idea of the idea that a creation, whatever context we even have, any idea we have about creation is that if you create something, yeah. the expectation is that the creation would, the duty of the creation is that it does according to what why it was made. Yes. Okay. Um, so a, a line in the confession um, or a, a word in the confession, reasonable uh, creature, mm. I hope I'm saying it um, exactly as it is, yes. reasonable creature, that's to uh, create a distinction between uh, man or humans and the trees and the yes. goats mm. and the dogs and all of that, every other thing else in creation. Mm. So reasonable creation. Um, I'm wondering, um, maybe that's, maybe it's just to help, um, are you referring to any particular covenant? You know, when you talk about um, God's creation and uh, cre the creature's responsibility to just be what God created it for. Mm. And, if God created us as reasonable beings, mm. um, I'm wondering, is it, I'm, I'm really struggling to, um, f to understand how reward comes into it in uh, relating to God and reasonable crea creation, that's man. Um, so without a covenant in the point, without a covenant, there can't be an expectation for rewards. So, um, is there a specific covenant you're speaking of? Mm. When God created Adam pre-fall, before the fall, was there a reward for Adam being Adam the way God wanted him to be? Or was it just like, almost like, uh, can we say, Adam did not, there was really nothing more than just Adam doing, tending the garden, you know, naming the animals, and that was just all, like a robot, almost like a phone manufactured to do a certain task, and he's doing it. And was there a real reward for Adam for doing what God instructed him to do at that point of creation before the fall? Okay. Yes, I, I want to... Does anybody have anything to say to that? Eh? Okay. Yeah, actually, eh? Actually, <clears throat> the thing is, if we go to Genesis chapter, please introduce this one. Go to Genesis chapter one, Genesis two, we see what we will call covenant language, and this is basically God saying, "If you do this, I will do this." As a result of your doing this, the Adamic covenant, however, is put in the negative. The way God put it is, "If you eat of this." you shall surely die. Now, the way we know if statement, there's always the other side. But if you don't eat of it, you shall live. So the reward for Adam's obedience is a kind of, is, is life, basically. So it points us to, to know that the life Adam was living in Eden was not even the, most, it was not the perfect life. Adam was going through a kind of probation why God told him now that if you obey me, the reward you would have is life. Now, tell me, it's put in a negative, however. But if you look at, it's just some other covenants are put in the positive, all the covenants of the Bible, but this one is put in negative. The inverse is that if Adam had obeyed God, Adam would have been rewarded with life. So that's, 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 a, that's a quick answer to that. Adam would have been rewarded with what, what entailed obedience for Adam? It was that he would stay away from this thing. Don't do this. It was in a negative. Don't do this. So Adam sinned. Therefore, he brought upon himself the bad part of the covenant because. Yes, and, um, and in addition to that, um, what I sensed also from the question was 
you are saying something about like tending, doing all those work and everything. That's, that, in fact, the covenant had already been established at that point. That's what I'm even trying to say. That's the fact when there is already an instruction, he has already condescended to have that relationship with man. So I could say that it is, it was like an inevitable thing that had to happen. But we are, we are just explaining that that reality is God condescending to have that uh, personal, that covenant and that personal relationship with man. Are we good, sir? Um, were you saying something? Okay. Any other question before we... I think we can't take much any, so I just want to conclude by way of summary. Any question or any other contribution? Okay. I know questions will come. This, this is not even the complex part, if there is any complex part compared to the... Um, subsequent paragraphs. So I would want, I would not want to open up something, but I want to just read it out, the second paragraph of, the, of chapter 7. Moreover, man having brought himself under the curse of the law by his fall, it pleased the Lord to make a covenant of grace. So one thing I want us to, um, to have at the back of our minds towards next week is that when we try to go through scripture trying to get the meaning or the the phrase covenant of grace we will not be able to see it in the bible so what does it mean but we i I don't think that is a new thing to us where we have concepts that are not we don't see the word in scripture but we see the truth about them in scripture so it is the truth that makes those concepts biblical. So, I mean, we think of Trinity. The, the word Trinity, where is it anywhere in Scripture? But when we look at Scripture holistically, we know that clearly the Bible teaches that there is one God, one being, and three persons. When we also talk about um, what other words that are, that we don't see the we don't see it there but they actually imply thank god you're not holding the mic now yes so covenant of grace is also that you see the bible is a covenant book covenant language fills the bible we see lots of divine covenants established throughout scripture. But we see that all these things as we are all part of a central covenant. And that's what I want us to have at the back of our mind, the covenant of grace, which is the reason why even all of us here are sitting down. It's because of the covenant of grace from Adam um, to Noah, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, then the new covenant, everything, they work together. It's like you can put them together and call them a single promise with an oath from God. And that's why when we talk about, I know we've said this lots of times, but it's not too much to emphasize that when we talk about the gospel, we see that right from Genesis 3.15, we can speak about the gospel. And that's how connected all this um, divine covenants in scripture are. They are connected organically. And we see also that the Bible speaks about one thing. There's one thing that the Bible speaks about. And we see that all these covenants, that's which God initiated, that's which, when we say divine covenant, that is God and man, is speaking about one purpose, one thing. And all those were um, is it consummated or completed in Christ and the work of Christ. And it is at this point that we will stop if there are no other contributions. Are we good? All right. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for 
the privilege to be part of the covenants that you established with man, particularly for those who have been called out from darkness which the fall costs into your kingdom of light. We are sorry for how we have um, felt foolishly entitled to the things that we believe that we needed to have for whatever reason that came to our minds all those times. We are aware that it's totally an act of grace and your mercy that is responsible for even we breathing at all or even having the hope of eternal life. We are grateful for this. We ask, Lord, that in response to this, you would help us to live according to the dictates of your word, to live according to the dictates of your spirit, to yield to that which only your spirit can lead us to do, so that we can fully and truly fulfill the reason why we are here in the first place, which is to glorify you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, that in, as we walk each day, every moment of our lives, that this truth would continually be at the center of all that we do and how we relate with you and with our fellow man. Bless the rest of our evening, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that all other concerns that we have will bring before your feet, resting in your care for us, knowing that you will take care of us. We appreciate you because you have heard us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.